0: Colossians chapter 1, verse number 9, Paul says to the Christians at Colossae, he says, And so from the day we heard, the day we heard of your faith, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, even the forgiveness of our sins. When we read through the letters, you've got several different letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote, and these letters uh, contain instruction for the Christian life. We don't just need prophecy, we don't need just gospels and narratives and the accounts of Who Jesus was and what He did. We as followers of Jesus need instruction for our souls. And I've spent the better part of my Christian life, it may surprise you, not studying prophetic passages. We're a prophetic culture, obviously, but the bulk of my Christian studies have been studying the letters, studying the epistles so that I can help people as a pastor know how to live out the faith that is alive in them. And I want to know as I am being governed by prophetic promises and things that are yet to come and awaiting that great and glorious day where the Son of God returns to establish His kingdom on earth, I want to know between that moment and this moment, how then shall I live? And so when we come to passages like these, friends, this is not like deep, overly mystical stuff. This is God saying, I want to tell you how to live out your Monday tomorrow. I want to tell you how to live out your life with your family. I want to tell you how to move in and out of your relationships. And ultimately, I want to tell you, my child, how I want to live my life through you. And because our lives are not primarily lives that we're living for God, if we're we're living rightly, these are lives that we're living in God or in Christ or with Jesus. It's not going out there and doing something for Him so he'll, He'll applaud us and love us more. That's foreign to the heart of Christianity. What Paul is doing is he's saying, as you are in Christ and Christ is in you, here's how your life will be marked. And so let's take a look at some of these as we go through it today. There'll be a lot of scripture. All of this stuff will be up on your screen. And apologies ahead of time if you came for the Zoom Zoom this morning. This is not necessarily Zoom Zoom. This is more like healthy food. This is bulk and fiber for us this morning. So let me give you the first mark. In Jesus Christ, all of us are marked for wisdom. Let me read this verse again. Paul says, From the day we heard of your conversion, we've not ceased to pray for you. Paul was an intercessor. He was an apostle. He was a miracle-working prophet. He was an architect of the New Testament. But he was an intercessor, praying night and day. And he says, here's what we're praying. We are asking that you may be filled, you Christians may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, let's, let's call a time out very quickly. I'm going to come right back to this verse. Um, all over the United States, especially in the Bible Belt here today in churches, there's bulletins passed out. You know, you get mugged at the front door. They try to load you up with stuff, and part of that usually is a, is a bulletin. And in that bulletin in a lot of churches, is the saying we do it digitally here, but uh, it used to be we'd put it in the, in the uh, bulletin. It would be a prayer list. How many of y'all have ever read a prayer list in a church bulletin? It's kind of depressing. I mean, we are praying for everything. Pray for John Smith's bleeding gums. Pray for Aunt Thelma's gout. Pray that, you know, and it's always just, and listen, we're to pray about everything with Thanksgiving. I'm, I'm all for interceding for health needs and all of that stuff. But when you read those lists that people submit and the church secretary puts it in the bulletin that's passed out on Sundays, almost invariably, it's going to be for a temporal need. And you and I, when we intercede, oftentimes we're kind, of, we're kind of caught on the horns of praying for financial needs or health needs or relational needs or occupational needs or you, you name it. But most of the time our intercession is for temporary things that are calling out with some form of urgency because they need to be remedied or tweaked or fixed. Look at what Paul does here. He opens up and he's like, boom. He says, I am asking that you might be filled with the knowledge of the will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I love the fact that when Paul is praying, we get oriented to the priorities of the kingdom. When when listen, this wasn't an email. When they had to write a letter, they had to put energy in it. They had a, an individual that would write it. It was not, you know, obviously typed out and digitally sent. It took forever. It was hard to write. It was hard to get to the people. And so he's making every word count. He's not wasting any time, and he gets right to the heart of the matter. He says, I want you to know what God's will is for your life. And notice this. He didn't want them dabbling in God's will. He didn't want them taking little sample-sized bites of God's will. He says, I want you to be filled with it. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of what God's desire is for you. A lot of people may not know, what does the will of God encompass? Listen, I think the will of God is, in, in this instance, is knowing who God is, knowing how God is. Knowing what God offers you and knowing what God requires of you. Knowing who he is, knowing how he is, knowing what he offers you, and knowing what he requires of you. And all of that can embody who God is, excuse me, what God's will is for the individual Christian's life. But he also adds this, it will be connected to spiritual wisdom. So in other words, it's not a logical approach because he's not not a logical God. Doesn't mean that God doesn't operate through logic at times, it just means this, you can't know God by your reasoning faculties. You can't know Him by simply thinking about Him according to your own terms. There's got to be the Holy Spirit awakening your mind, and typically that's going to happen for us through the Word of God. And so Paul is praying, I want you to be marked for wisdom. You need spiritual wisdom not the wisdom of the world, not temporal wisdom, not wisdom that is rooted in, in momentary gains that are with you one moment and lost the next moment, that we are to be filled with a knowledge of God's will that we can live in an understanding. Literally, Paul's praying that they would begin to see their lives through the lens of the gospel, that their hearts would begin to feel what God's heart feels, that their, their wills would start to align with the will of the Father, And so Paul recognizes that apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, apart from God sovereignly moving and initiating that work in their lives, that we, left to our own devices, will never know God's will. We will never know God's will if it was 100% incumbent upon us to figure it out. And so God doesn't leave us like that. God wants you to know His will right now wherever you are today. Whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you are spiking in the pinnacle of your relationship with Him, or if you're down in some valley with Him and you barely feel saved anymore, I'm telling you, it is the will of the Lord that you might know exactly what He wants you to do in this season of His life, of your life. And so Paul begins to pray that, he's asking for that over and over again, that they may be marked by the wisdom of the kingdom. Now, there's a reason for that. Somebody might say, well, why do I need to know the will of God? Well, thank you for asking, verse number 10, that we can be not only marked by wisdom, but marked by distinction. Now, Christians, I want you to hear me on this. This is so important for us. Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will and spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why, Paul? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So to be fully pleasing to Him. So as to be bearing good fruit or bearing fruit in every good work and to be continually increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, listen, this is a great jumping on point for any believer that um, has been kind of riding out their Christianity in low gear, kind of casually ho-humming it through the Christian life. You show up at church every now and then, you believe what the preacher says, but you're not necessarily kind of locked into it. And uh, you don't mind the songs, but you're not really stirred. And then when you go out of here and, you, you know, you're not in that Christianized context of a Sunday service, your Christianity isn't really central in who you are. Now listen, I do believe it's possible for a saved person not to yet be anchored and rooted in all the dynamics of the Christian life, but that is not the will of God for any of us. And so Paul says, the reason why I want you to know God's will, the reason why I want you to grow in spiritual wisdom, the reason why I want you to have deeper understanding is so that your life is lived out in a manner that is worthy of the one who saved you. It's pretty intense, man, because I know this is kind of unpopular in our day, but you may not know this. I don't really care if I'm popular. It just doesn't matter to me. Um, I I, I know this. I, I want us to be iron sharpening iron. When iron hits iron, some sparks will fly from time to time. And so from time to time, we've got to bring these sharp edges of truth into play on our Christian lives. And what Paul is saying here is this, that those of us that have been redeemed, those of us that have said yes to the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ, those of us that have believed that his death on the cross paid for our sins completely, and that he rose up from the grave three days after he was laid dead in that grave, Those of us that believe his life and victory over the grave is our hope for victory over the grave. Paul says, if you have believed that and you have received Christ as the Lord of your life, then here's here's the will of God. Live the rest of your days out in a way that honors him and pleases him. Um, We have left off a lot of the gospel, have we not, down here in Bible Belt, southeastern USA. We have turned the gospel into pray and ask Jesus into your heart and you'll go to heaven when you die, and that's it. And that is such a false gospel, such a terrible presentation of biblical truth. And what we've done is we've gotten people to repeat an empty prayer and they've got confidence in the prayer, but no consecration unto the Lord. And so what Paul is saying is, no, listen, I'm praying that you'll know the will of God. And as you know the will of God, you'll be moving in spiritual wisdom, moving in spiritual understanding. And as you do that, what's going to happen is your life is going to live be lived out in a way that is worthy of the Lord. Just lets us know there's a way that a Christian can live that is worthy of the Lord, and there's a way that a Christian can live that's unworthy of the Lord. And Paul wants us to be able to discern which, which group am I in. And then he, I mean, if, if any of us think we have made it, we have arrived yet, Paul says, fully pleasing to him. Pleasing to him, I, I, I could you know, occasionally give myself a free pass. Like, yeah, I did that today. I pleased him. I got that today. But Paul throws in that little qualifier. Fully pleasing unto the Lord. Now, that's not a religious legalistic shackle that's supposed to weigh me down. Oh, no, am I pleasing God? Am I pleasing God? That's not what the intent is. It's actually supposed to be wings, not chains. It's supposed to set you with the ability to soar, saying, I can actually live in a way that brings pleasure to the heart of a father. I can actually live in a way discerning his will and growing in understanding and living in spiritual wisdom that actually brings pleasure to the God who sits upon the throne. And the result is that it will bring forth fruit. It brings forth kingdom results, kingdom produce as I engage in a lifestyle of of any good work that the Lord assigns to me. Now, let's, let's get this straight. We are not saved by our works, but I'm gonna throw you this one out there. Neither are we saved in the absence of works. You see, it's not that our works save us, but our works validate that we're saved. And so apart from works, there is no reasonable justification for us to say, yes, I know I'm saved. Because if there is an inflow of the Spirit, there's going to be an outflow of the Spirit from our lives. And so when Paul is saying this, that we can literally live fruitful lives that please the Lord, and we're growing and increasing in the, in the, uh, the wisdom and the understanding of the kingdom, then he gives us the greatest, I think the greatest treasure of all in verse number 10. He says it leads to an increase in the knowledge of God. So you know him today, but you can know him more tomorrow. And after tomorrow, oh, there's the next day and the next day. Listen, here's the beautiful invitation. It has to come at some point to reality in our lives that the greatest magnet on our soul is that we might know this one who loves us, who chose us, who has saved us and cleansed us and brought us to himself. We sang earlier that we're not orphans. We've been adopted into the family of God. And this one that loves us says, I want you to know me. And we never tap out that knowledge. This can blow your mind a little bit. When we exit this earth and we enter into the eternal realm, where there is no time, there is no space, there there is a completely different, um, immeasurable dynamic to the eternal stay. The glories of heaven, if you could export a time measure to heaven, in a billion years of knowing God intimately every second of every hour, every moment that you're in glory, of knowing and increasing in the knowledge of Him, in a billion years of growing in knowledge of Him, you still wouldn't have broken the surface. And we're not to wait until we get there to begin to say, oh, I want to know Him. I want to know Him. He's given us the Word. We can't even really tap out the written Word in knowing Him, much less the experiential knowledge that we have of Him. And so, friends, when I read this, and I think Paul's praying it for them, but it's in the Bible, and it's being prayed over us to increase in the knowledge of God. Don't you want to know him more? The more we know him, the more deeply we love him, because the more you know him, you're going to realize how mind-blowing it is that he ever loved you. Come on, y'all. I know it's early, but y'all are like, yeah. what else you got, man? Well, a matter of fact, that's going to come up in the next couple of verses, so I won't hit it here. So let me go down to this third mark. Marked for victory. So we're talking about being marked for wisdom. We're talking about being, um, being marked by distinction, living in a way that is distinct from the world, fully pleasing unto the Lord, and marked for victory. Look, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Strengthen, power, might, endurance, patience, joy. This is how Paul was praying for the Christians at Colossae. He says... As you're growing in wisdom and spiritual understanding, as you're increasing in the knowledge of God, as you're living a life that is fully pleasing unto him, as it is worthy of his holy and glorious name, as you're doing that, I'm praying that you might be a people who are marked by victory. Now, this is the thing that I want our generation to reacquaint itself with. Because, I think in part, because we live in such a comfortable culture. We are prosperous. We are, at least at this point, safe. There's no grave threats that are coming at us constantly. As believers in Jesus Christ, you showed up here today, didn't have to hide where you were going, got to bring a Bible with you if you wanted to, showed up with no fear of legal uh, persecution. It's easy to be a Christian in the United States of America, but it wasn't easy for the ch- Christians at Colossae to live out their lives. And so Paul had to pray these things. These weren't luxuries, these were necessities. They needed to be strengthened with all power. And what's amazing is, I don't want to bore you with a Greek study, but the verb tenses here are indicated, uh, are indicating that we are, we presently have that strength, and we are operating, we are being strengthened with all power, all necessary power that is required for you to live the life that God has assigned to you. Everything that encompasses His will for your life, He's saying to you one-on-one, He says, child, I'll give you every ounce of power you need to walk out what I'm calling you to walk out. And what's, what's so awesome is because our tendency is to say, but I don't have that power. And He goes, oh, I'm so glad you know that. It is so awesome that you now know you don't have what it takes to do what I'm calling you to do because when you reach the end of yourself, that's where you're going to be able to connect with my power. And it is the might uh, the glo- the according to his glorious might so it's not you maxing out your intellect maxing out your volition your will maxing out your your education your experience your theology it's not you just bringing it all to the table in one big massive armload and say this is what i got to offer you and i'm going to bring it all and we're going to do something with this and the lord says you are so stinking cute but that is not going to do it Matter of fact, some of this stuff you just brought me is actually getting in the way. So child, I love you, and I'll use some of this, but what you really need is my strength. And in order for us to get to the place where we recognize we need his strength, we have to quit trusting in our own. And so that's why Paul is praying this. He says, oh yeah, you've got to have the strength from his power, his might. Why? Because he's praying for them to have all endurance. Endurance. Praying for them to have all patience. And then he kills me. This is like the the laser bomb here. Because I'm I'm good with, yes, I need God's strength. Awesome, I'm going to have his power. Hallelujah, his glorious might. Lord, you're making me to endure. And God, I'm growing in patience. And then God whispers, with joy. Can we take those two words out? Because it's hard for a lot of us uh, to... To be able to connect the battles in life with the offer to be operating in constant joy. It is so challenging, and yet it is the will of God for Jeff Lyle and for everybody that's listening to him right now. Um, When he talks about endurance, I want you to hear me on this. This will be more and more important the closer we get to the end of the age. There will be a great falling away as we approach the end of the age. There will be many people that are in churches today singing the songs, throwing a tithe in the plate, listening to the preacher, taking notes. There will be many that are in churches today when, when persecution hits the church in America, they won't endure. They won't persevere. There will be part of that great falling away that give into the great delusion. The love of many will turn cold. There will be betrayals of Christ, uh, by uh, faux Christians against true Christians within one's own family. It is going to happen. It's prophetically promised. It is ironclad. That's going to happen. And so when Paul is praying for endurance, let me tell you what we can learn from this. You and I should be praying for our endurance right now more than ever. Why? Because we are in a place right now where we can pray for it without needing as much of it as we're going to need. It's like literally saving up for a rainy day, except it's not going to be primarily a rainy day. It's going to be cataclysmic. And friends, there is a confidence in the flesh that says, yeah, that doesn't really apply to me, man. I know my Bible. I know I, I'm, I'm going to be able to do this. Listen, you may know your Bible, and you may understand what's coming, but you don't know the weakness of your own flesh. And we can't put any confidence in our flesh, and so this praying for endurance... By the way, if, if, if we're... I preached this just a couple of weeks ago. If, if we're not enduring in the easy season, if we're not faithful in this easy season if we're not pressing into the Lord when everything is copacetic and conducive to us being the Christians that we can be, if we're not doing it now, if we're getting knocked off off our lane now, oh my God, we need to get on our face and call on Him now because we're not prepared to endure. And then as we do endure, and endurance speaks primarily of enduring circumstances and situations, patience is with people. A lot of us can handle our situations, but then the people thing happens, the person you work with, the person in your family maybe that you're struggling with, the the people that walk alongside of you in the kingdom, or maybe it's just strangers because I know none of you guys ever struggle with anything like this, but just just hypothetically, like the people in traffic, the people in line in front of you, the people that you don't know their names or faces, but how in the world they woke up and had the agenda to make your day horrible and they got in your path. You're not, you know how we think about that? It's like we get so offended, we get so upset with people as if there was a pre-day meeting where all these people got together and say, how are we gonna strategize to ruin her day? All right, everybody, you've got your assignments, go. That's not the way it works. Frankly, we're not that important. How do, we do it? How do we do it? How do we endure the circumstances? How do we live with deep, Christ-honoring patience that's worthy of him when our friends, our parents, our children, our spouses, when, when they act in ways that bring us to an end of ourselves? Do you know what Paul's saying? That's why I'm praying for you. Why? Why? Because you will run out of your own strength, you will run out of your own patience, you will run out of your own endurance, and you will most certainly run out of your own joy. And what what we have humbling us right here is that in Christ we're marked for victory. But victory can't be victory unless it is in the context of opposition. It was college game day yesterday. You've got some teams, your favorite team maybe played, and let me tell you, if they won, it was a battle. It was a fight. They had to work for it. They had to prepare for it. They had to plan for it. They had to endure all of the exhaustion that comes along with being four quarters on a football field playing against other people that want to destroy you. And we need to import that metaphor into the Christian life and recognize victory is not the absence of conflict. Victory can't exist except for the conflict. And we're, we're, we're so prone to think, oh, I don't have victory. We're, we're, we're looking for this utopian oasis where we can f- pull up on the shore you know, they're going to put a lei around our neck, they're going to be doing the little hula thing, and every, they're just celebrating us, because after all, we're us. And, and that's, not, that's not realistic, that's not life, that's not victory. That's, that's, um, that's evasion, that's avoiding the fight, that's living in a, um, a fantasy land, and what Paul is saying here is, no, as Christians, we are strangers and foreigners in this world, and we have the hostility of the culture, We have all the temptations within our own flesh, and then we have an aggressive host of demonic agents that want to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's all they've got to do is their job description. And so Paul's saying, I've got you covered. More important than Paul praying for the church at Colossae, let's remember, you and I, that we have one sitting at the right hand of God who ever lives to make intercession for us. I don't understand how all of that works, and I don't have to, but I do believe it that the Son of God right now is interceding to the Father for you. For you that are not yet followers of Jesus, the Son of God is petitioning the Father that you might experience His mercy today, His grace today, and His forgiveness today. The Son of God is praying, for those of you that don't know Jesus, that, that all of the illusions of the angry God who wants to crush you and ruin your life and bring you into religious misery, Jesus is praying, Father, move that out of their minds and show them who you are, how you are, what you offer, and what you require. And as that begins to happen, there's something that awakens in the heart. Jesus is not only interceding, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not only interceding for the lost, but he's interceding for the saved. That we might be strengthened today, that you can walk out of here strengthened in your spirit with a greater measure of endurance and patience and joy than when you walked in. But friends, here's the thing. We We have to say yes to that. We have to lay down our own wills in order to walk in the will of God. We have to take what we know about him through his word and through revelation and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have to take that and we have to say your will is greater than mine. Your will covers all of the questions. My will only co- covers the questions that I think I know right now. And so we, we humble ourselves and we enter into it. Let me give you this uh, fifth mark. Y'all still with me? Um, marked Excuse me, the fourth mark. Marked by gratitude. Giving thanks to the Father, look at this, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul mentions the foundation right here for for all of our gratitude as followers of Jesus. What is the foundational thing that keeps us anchored in a life and a lifestyle of gratitude, it is this, the salvation that we have received from Him that makes us eternal citizens in God's kingdom. I I know that it is so common for believers to get saved, kind of run off those fumes for a short time, and then devote themselves to quote-unquote real life, and they forget the glories of what it means to be saved. It is so easy, especially those of us that are are, are committed and moving in and out regularly of Christian context and ministry and circles. It's so easy to take your salvation for granted. It's so easy to forget how gloriously good it is that you are fully pardoned by the most holy judge and authority that has ever existed and ever will exist and that He looked on you and, and declared, not that you were innocent, but declared that He would not hold you guilty. And there is a difference because there's not a single person that's going to be in heaven that was, is there because they were innocent. It's, it's that we were guilty, but we were pardoned, that our penalty was paid. Now, I'm just going to ask you, and it's a theoretical question you don't need to answer, but I hope you'll consider it. Um, when was, has, it, has it happened recently that you just got still and quiet and slow in the midst of all the junk that's not right in your life and just said, God, I'm going to be determined today to reconnect with the fact that my name is written in heaven's roster roll. That, Lord, I am saved. My name is in the Lamb's book of life. Paul says here that he, God, we, we give thanks to him because he's the one that qualified us for the inheritance of the saints in light. Can, can, can we just hit grace here for a minute? There's no strutting in the kingdom. No strutting. There ain't, no, nobody's bowed up in heaven. Nobody's walking up in heaven saying, hey, I didn't think you'd be here. That's not the way it operates. Listen, Um, I I praise God for those of you that never got off into sin. I wish that was my testimony, man. I I wish that I had gotten saved early on, but I had a terrible life. So it's easy for me to know I didn't qualify on my own. But I'm also going to tell you this, I don't just need to know that at the moment of salvation, I need to remember that all of my days. That I don't qualify, that I don't earn it, that I couldn't help Him out. I didn't meet Him halfway. God didn't get it started, and now I'll take it from there. I'll tell you, He made you qualified. Now, the the doctrines of grace are far beyond our ability to fully fathom, but we need to honor God by believing them. That when it says you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, don't try to figure it out, just get on your face before God and say, hallelujah, thank you. When, when, When we recognize that it is the grace of God Not only did did we not qualify, we were disqualified to be in His presence. It's not that we didn't have merit, we had demerit. And there was nothing we could do to save ourselves. God only saves sinners. That's all He does. And the thing that He requires of us is to acknowledge that we're sinners. To acknowledge that and come before Him in humility and brokenness as one who cannot save himself or herself and to acknowledge God on my own, I'm the one who ruined it, but you, Lord, you say that you will take what is broken and shattered and dead and ruined and you will put it together and bring life to it. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And and, and it's not just getting us to heaven. It's sharing in an an eternal inheritance as those that are the saints in light. And I'm gonna come back to that in a moment, but let me give you this last thing from verse number 13 and then we'll unpack it and we'll be done here in a moment. We're marked in identity. We have to have a renaissance in the church of walking out our identity. And the only way that we're going to be able to walk out our identity is to know what does the Bible say about that identity. And here, Paul is praying their identity over them. He's saying, for all Christians, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus, in whom, in Jesus, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I'm going to do something I normally don't do on Sunday mornings. I'm going to parse those two verses, verses 13 and 14, because I want you, if you're saved here today, I want you to walk out of this room empowered more deeply in your identity. Not how you feel about you, but what he says about you. Because how many of you know how you feel about you must bow to what he says about you? And we are not to exalt how we feel about ourselves, whether we feel too poorly of ourselves or too highly of ourselves. Scrap all that stuff. We're to say, Lord, who do you say I am? And I'm going to believe that, and then I will be who you say that I am. And so, Paul gives us some help here that can both encourage us and deeply humble us. He he uses this phrase, he says, that God has delivered you from the domain of darkness. Now, for some of us, we say, yeah, I remember living in the domain of darkness. I remember my darkened deeds. I remember my dark words. I remember my dark thoughts. I remember my, my... dark actions, my dark impulses, my, 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 my dark agenda that I had all the time. I remember what it was to live in the domain of darkness. But that's not just for the guys and the gals that got saved out of a really rough lifestyle. That's for all of you. You that were saved at six years old, you know what God did for you the day you were saved? He snatched you out of the domain of darkness. You were so darkened, you didn't know you were in darkness. You're just being a little six-year-old kid whose one day her heart was awakened to the gospel of Jesus Christ and she knew she needed him and wanted him as a Savior, and you said yes. And you didn't have any idea about all this other stuff. I'm not saying that a six-year-old should fully comprehend that, but just the, the lack of comprehension does not mean that it wasn't so. And so literally, we got transferred out of a, a domain, a realm, a reality of absolute, utter spiritual darkness where even our righteous deeds that we might have tried to done would have been received as filthy rags before the Lord. Why? Because they were coming apart from Christ and God in His mercy and God in His grace and God in His love. Let me give you some other verses. Let me just do this for a moment. When we're talking about this darkness, let's just, let me give you a few verses. We began with this darkened nature, John three nineteen. This is the judgment that light has come into the world And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. So we started in darkness. Why? Because darkness suited our desires. But we don't have to remain in darkness. John 12, 46. Jesus says this. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. We start there, but there's no reason for us to live there. And certainly not in there. Paul would, would receive a calling from Jesus, and he recounts that calling in Acts 26, 18. And here was part of the calling that he received from the Lord Jesus. Paul was to open the eyes of people, why? So that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus, now, now grant this, it's not some vague domain of darkness. It's not this kind of ambiguous thing that Jesus and Paul are, are, are teaching us about. It is the power of Satan. Here we go, I'm just going to say, You know, I, the more passion I get, the louder I get. So if you don't like loud preaching, there are earplugs somewhere in this building. But let me, let me, let me just give it, because I'm passionate about Listen, we live in a watered-down Christian context where we take things that are clear in Scripture and we make them vague, and then we take other things that are vague and we try to make those things like all-encompassing. And and the reality is this. Every single person, human being, outside of Jesus Christ, according to the Scripture, is in the power of Satan. The power of Satan. So the the, the sweet little nice nine-year-old that's saying no to Jesus is in the power of Satan. The moral, self-righteous 75-year-old who has tithed her whole life but never surrendered to Jesus in the power of Satan. It just looks different. You've got ignorance, power of Satan. You've got self-righteousness, power of Satan. You've got rebellion, power of Satan. We usually just make it the power of Satan or on the rebellious. Yeah, that person needs Jesus. No, the self-righteous needs Jesus to be delivered from the domain of darkness. The ignorant need the power of the gospel. Why do you think we send missionaries? We send missionaries to places where the gospel is not preached. We've got some folks over there right now. we got 50-something people from our own spiritual family that are in some of the farthest and darkest places in the world. Why? Because if they die in their ignorance, they die in the power of Satan. So what do we do? We obey the Great Commission. We take the gospel. Why am I preaching here today? Because there's people in this room today in all three categories, ignorant, self-righteous, and rebellious. And the Scripture says that that's the domain of darkness. But Jesus says, you don't have to stay there because I'm the light, and I bring myself to you. And then Paul says this, for those of us that have been delivered from darkness in Ephesians 5.8, he says, one time you were darkness. I even like that reads the same way in the Greek. It doesn't just say you were in darkness. It says you were the darkness. Isn't this like pride crushing? This is just like a, a, a kick to the ego. He says, but now you are light in the Lord. You were darkness, but now you're light. Jesus said that. You are the light of the world, that your light so shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify my Father who is in heaven. Friends, you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. And if you're here today and you're the self righteous person, or maybe you were ignorant today and you just didn't really understand what it meant for Jesus to die in your place, or maybe you are in rebellion. Maybe you know the gospel and you know the truth, but you've just kind of hardened your heart and you've got a a dozen excuses of why you don't want to be a Christian. Well, I'm I'm just going to kind of uh, just tell you this Um, What's your answer for the darkness? Because there's got to be an answer for it at some place. Because there's only two eternal states. One is light and one is darkness. And if you don't exit the darkness, as you have been, so you will ever be. If you'll enter into the light, as you are made, so you will ever be. Goes on a little bit further in this last verse. Just a couple more minutes. He not only... Delivered us from the domain of darkness. He didn't just get us out of something. He put us into something. He transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We've been delivered. We've been deposited. We are now part of an entirely new realm. Christians, hear me with this. We are currently in this room living in the United States of America. Um, Many in the room, if not most, are natural-born citizens here. And... And this is a kingdom, little k, little k kingdom. And the kingdom of the United States of America has, a, has an expiration date. It's got a full-blown expiration date. There's not going to be any MAGA hats in the eternal kingdom. Don't get mad. There's not. Nor, or it's not, what do they say? It's not the donkey or the elephant, it's the lamb. I know it's cliche, but it's true. And most people get riled up for about a kingdom that they are actually no longer have their primary citizenship in. And so we've been transferred. Hallelujah, you got your transfer papers, and you are now in the kingdom of his beloved son. We have a king, and we're loyal to the king above any lesser loyalties. And we love the king over any other loves. And we want our lives to reflect the banner of the king and the name of the king and the glory of the king. Why? Well, because he bought us and we're his. And he loves us so. When it talks about being moved in this kingdom, let me give you a couple of other verses. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, Paul says to a different group of Christians at a different time, he says, "...we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and challenged or charged you, walk in a a manner that is worthy of God." who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. It's not enough to get out of hell. It's not enough to get out of darkness. You have to recognize, man, I am brand new. I've got a brand new allegiance. I've got brand new opportunities. I've got a brand new calling. I've got a brand new nature. I've got a brand new set of priorities. I've got a brand new intimacy. Everything's new, but you have to be, you have to reckon yourself to be into that before you'll start living it. It's, it's also God's power in this kingdom. Listen to what happened to us. I know some of this stuff is elementary, but I'm intentionally just kind of saturating us with Bible this morning. God being rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, because of the great love wherewith he loved you, if I can make it personal. Even when you were dead in your trespasses, he made you alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised you up with him, with Jesus, and seated you with Jesus in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. God says, I am showing you kindness now and it's never going to end. I've taken you out of the domain of darkness. I've, I've ripped you from the, the power of Satan. I've brought you into a kingdom of light through the sacrifice of my son. And right now, I am just pouring out kindness upon you. And God looks at you, in, in essence, he says, and I'm never gonna stop. I'm never, ever going to stop. And then we have from 2 Peter 1.11. In this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The next phrase Paul mentions in Colossians 1 is this phrase about having redemption, and I'll probably just end here. It's redemption and the forgiveness of sins. What are we doing here? We're trying to connect in our gratitude. We're trying to walk out our identity. If you don't know who you are, you can't live who you are. You're living out what you believe to be your identity. Your life will never exceed the way you think about yourself. So if you are absolutely convinced that you're horrible, that you're a failure, that you're sinful, that you're dirty, that you're addicted, that you're bound, that you're hopeless, you're going to live it. You will absolutely live it. But if you allow the truth of Scripture to start speaking against the lies that have cultivated your identity and start identifying you according to the wisdom the flawless wisdom and pinpoint accuracy of God, you'll start living differently because you'll recognize who you are. And so um, he speaks of this this issue of redemption. Um, Redemption is a word that, it's it's a sensitive word, but in the Roman culture, there were slaves everywhere, and to redeem a slave was to go and buy a slave, to take him from his old master. In the biblical concept, the picture is this, is that we were all slaves to sin, and we're on the auction block, and all we're going to do is be beat up by another master. And Jesus comes in and looks at the slave and says, what's the price of that slave that you've got there, Satan? And Satan says, it'll cost you everything, Jesus. Jesus says, I'll pay it. I'll pay it. I'll buy her. I'll buy him. And he pays for our price. He pays the ransom, not with silver and gold, but with his blood, with his life, with his love. And he doesn't make us abused slaves. He buys us out of slavery and he says, you're not a slave anymore. You're my son. You're my daughter. That's what the father says. So he redeems us. He buys us out of slavery and brings us into a family. Here's a couple of other verses that'll help us with that. Ephesians 1.7, it says, In Christ we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, Knowing that you were ransomed, that's that same word, redeemed, from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ. That's the value He set upon you, not because you deserved it, Don't don't walk out bowed up and proud, but because he loves whom he loves. He loves whom he loves, and he says, I love her. I don't want her in the domain of darkness. I don't want her. It's not my will that she should perish. It's not my will that he should perish. I I love him. And so I will pay the price to buy him out of the slave market of sin. I will pay what is required to redeem them. And the price was his own life, his own blood that he laid down so he could glorify the Father, show himself to be the Savior, and to have you as his own for all of eternity. I can't explain it, but man, I'm glad I believe it. It's all through the forgiveness of sins. There's only one thing that puts distance between us and and the Lord. That's this heinous thing called sin. And when we think of sins, we think of the dirty dozen, the nasty nine, or the terrible ten. And we think of moral behaviors. And we think, yep, that person needs Jesus because I see this behavior in his or her life. I'm gonna tell you what the citadel of sin is. The citadel of sin, the castle of sin whose gates must be stormed, is self, self. It is not primarily moral behaviors. It is self-love, self-worship, self-rule. And what Jesus does is he comes in he says, I will deal with your moral behaviors. I will, I, those things will be handled. But I'm not here to manage the symptoms of your real problem. I'm here to go to the core of your disease, and the core of your disease is you still rule you. You still trust you. You still worship you. You love you more than you love me. And so what the gospel does is the gospel comes in penetrating power that shows us both love and justice, mercy and justice. Justice in that somebody's got to pay for your sin. Mercy that Jesus said he would do it, and he did. And love is this, the invitation for you to decide what you want to do with his offer. What he requires is your submission and your repentance there's no getting around it, he doesn't negotiate. If you will bow to the Son of God and receive him as the Lord of your life, that is what he requires. And what does he offer? The kingdom. The kingdom. All these things will be added unto you. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I rarely do this on Sundays, but I'd be a fool not to do it today. Maybe today you walked in and you're kind of like I was for so many years. I was in church up until the age of 14, from the womb to age 14. I was always around, every week, Christian stuff. But I was completely ignorant of what the gospel actually had to do with me. What does the guy dying on the cross have to do with me? And I was ignorant. And then when the gospel came and Jesus, who is the light, shined the light in and I understood what it had to do with me, my ignorance was taken away but then I chose to live as a rebel. I was like, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what he wants, but I don't want to give my life to Jesus. And in his mercy, he let me reach the end of that road. And it was a terrible road, but he actually gave me what I wanted. I wanted to be independent of him. He said, if that's what you want, you're going to do it. I'm going to keep my eye on you. But Jeff, if you want to live as a rebel, I'll be there when you repent of your rebellion, but I'm going to wait on you to repent. Maybe you're in that rebellious stage, maybe you're in that ignorant stage, or maybe you're in that self-righteous stage where you've trusted in your good morals. You compare yourself to other people. and You feel better because you're not near as bad as him or her. Can I just say that this is a humbling moment where the gospel breaks in and God wants to mark us for eternity? And we have to decide, where are we, are we with Jesus? Where are we in the will of God? And what are we going to do with what He requires? If he requires repentance and faith and surrender, then nothing else will do. But but don't just look at the requirement. It comes attached to an offer: the offer of eternal life, the offer of relationship with your Creator through His Son Jesus, the offer author, excuse me the offer of knowing Him more intimately and growing knowledge. It is an offer of coming out of orphanhood and coming into family. So just bow your head and close your eyes. I don't have a religious prayer for you to to repeat, but I do have 60 seconds to offer you. And if you know your need right now to surrender to him, the highest level, say, yes, Jesus, you are Lord and I believe that. Yes, God. I've been bowing at the altar of myself. I've been the one in charge. I've been ruling. I've leaned on my own wisdom. I've trusted my own way. But today I believe that you're offering me your son. Jesus, I want you as the Lord of my life right now. I turn my life over to you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I want you to be my savior. And I surrender to you right now. If you can say, yes, Lord, that's what I want, then do it right now. Surrender your life to the Son of God. It's where it all begins. If you've made that commitment today or in recent days, you need to walk with a family, and we'd love to be able to help you. Let us know before you leave today that, hey, I surrendered to Christ either this morning or recently. We want to help you walk that out. So, Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for marking us for eternity. Lord, for those of us that are already born again, mark us with wisdom. Mark us with endurance. Mark us with joy. God, we need joy in a joyless world. I'm asking you, Father, for those this morning, whether they came in ignorant, rebellious, or self-righteous, melted away with the gospel of grace and let them know they're beloved by you and that you take them in right now through your son, Jesus. In whose name I pray, amen.